This is Office Hours, the show for sharing experiences and stories in security, risk management, compliance, and audit. Brought to you by Galvanize. Now, here's your host, Dan Zitting. Hey, everybody, Dan Zitting here, and excited today to have with me my longtime co host and founder of the original Office Hours, Mr. Kevin Legere. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing very good, Dan, and it's good to be back. So you are taking the lead on the topic today. So what are we going to be talking about? Uh, Today, we're going to do another episode on machine learning. Our loyal listeners may remember the one from last time we talked about. That was a long time ago. (laughs) It was like a year and a half, maybe. Uh, But we talked about K-means clustering, using that to look for patterns or outliers, Um, Today, we're going to be looking at some supervised machine learning in order to predict fraud. Outstanding. So to kick things off, I believe where this came from is you had had taken on an interesting case for a customer. Uh, I believe you said it was a consumer retail bank. Tell us a little bit about what that organization was looking to achieve. Yeah, sure. So like you said, it was a consumer bank and uh, they had a big problem with fraud where one of their customers' bank accounts would become compromised, passwords stolen or something like that. And the bank account would get drained um, of all the funds. And they were able to catch a lot of this fraud that was happening, but there was a lot of lag time um, in, in catching them. And uh, they also spent a lot of manual effort digging through all these consumer banking transactions, trying to uncover potential fraudulent ones. Uh, So they came to us. They knew that we had some capability in machine learning. And uh, basically, they wanted us to build a prototype to prove out the concept of whether we could train a model to effectively predict fraudulent transactions for them to monitor in near real time, thus taking out all the manual work they had to do at the end of every month and um, just being more proactive so that they could react in near real time um, in investigating these potential fraudulent transactions. Okay, interesting. So these were primarily withdrawal transactions from uh, retail bank accounts that we were that you were looking at. Withdrawals and transfers to other accounts were the two oh, okay. Withdra- um, the two main types of transactions that would happen. Excellent. Okay, withdrawals and transfers, and they and th- the data set that you uh, were going to do this off of included um, transactions that were known to be fraud or had been con- I, I, I presume had been confirmed with their customers uh, with the retail banking customer to have been fraud, uh, and it was off of this set that you wanted to build this uh, build this model. Um, tell me what the ultimate outcome was. Uh, Well, the ultimate outcome was we were able to build um, a prototype that used uh, in ACL Robotics, we have a train and a predict command. Train, you train the model to predict fraud. And the predict command, you predict which transactions that are not labeled fraud or not fraud, which ones um, could be fraud or not fraud, and what the percentage probability likelihood um, that they are. Um, So we were able to actually build a model and test it um, and got some really good results, which we'll dig into a bit more later. Um, But it was uh, very interesting. And I think the coolest thing is, A, I'm not a data scientist. 
um, and was able to help the customer build and test and prove out this concept. And it actually worked. Um, and uh, so I wanted to share this story because I think a lot of our customers or people who use similar data tools could take what I learned um, and easily apply them to a similar use case or other use cases um, other use cases in using machine learning in a relatively easy way. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. So when you start using words like model, it gets a little bit intimidating because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I've been uh, doing data work my whole career and I wouldn't even know where to begin on the notion of quote unquote, uh, building a model, but the tool sets now, I don't, broadly don't demand that anymore. So this is something that is approachable and perhaps even more approachable than really having to understand. I do want to dig into the specific details of, of how this actually works. But just because today uh, you started off by mentioning k-means clustering, if I don't know what k-means clustering is, it's no reason to be intimidated off of, off of trying to do this, I presume. Yeah, I think the hardest part of all this is actually identifying what problem you want to solve with machine learning and then picking the right type of machine learning to use to solve that problem. Um, but reading a few articles or some of the material that we provide our customers uh, can provide you guidance on doing that. And then it's just about finding, um, yeah, finding the right problem in your organization to point this technology at. And I think anyone... Obviously, you need to be a little bit data savvy um, in some of the techniques you need to use to utilize these properly. So I'd say you need to be maybe an intermediate to advanced kind of data analyst. Um, but anyone who's a little bit data savvy should be able to take the concepts we talk about today um, and apply them to different scenarios. Okay, so basically one level above, if you can pivot table, I can pivot table in Excel, I can probably figure out the basics of this. So let me first, before we dive into the details, can you summarize how you did it? Yeah, so um, in, in preparing for uh, this podcast, um, I kind of realized that you can break it up into five steps. Um, so the first one, um, which the customer already solved for us, which was great, but the first one is you need to identify a problem to solve. And I think that might actually be the hardest part. So you need to identify a problem to solve um, using machine learning, where machine learning is a good fit. And in this case, it was it was more proactively identify fraudulent bank withdrawals and fraudulent bank transfers. Exactly. The customer came to us with the problem. They already had the the labeled data set. Um, and uh, so it was a very good um, use case um, for the types of machine learning that we offer in our products. But I will presume that if it weren't bank withdrawals or bank transfers, it could have been looking at a whole series of payment transactions and identifying potential bribes. Um, I would presume it would be looking at a whole series of internal um, uh, internal pay transaction payment transactions and identifying uh, identifying uh, identifying payments that may have been uh, that may have been inappropriate to a to a, a vendor. Um, so so 
we won't dig into that one yet. Um, it may have been, it could be uh, looking at a whole series of transactions and identifying something that was money laundering. Um, a, a million different places where this fundamental idea of we have lots of transactions, some s- subset of those in the past we've identified as being um inappropriate or that we would like to predict that happening again and this technique would work for it yeah exactly or even a more generic use case that probably any industry could utilize this for you may want to train a model to predict uh, journal entry categorizations and then use that to help you identify miscategorized journal entries yeah so there's a good accounting example okay that was that was step one what step two Uh, Step two, acquire the necessary data. Um, And we'll dig in a little bit around um, like what you want, uh, what types of things you want to look for in your data um, to utilize this kind of technology. Uh, Step three, um, and this is actually the most time consuming part, um, but actually the part that I felt most comfortable is preparing the data. And when I say preparing the data, I mean cleaning the data, preparing it for analysis, and as you see, you'll see, you kind of need to experiment with um, a few different ways on categorizing your data um, and test out how that affects um, how that affects the downstream model and predictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, uh, our tool is really good at preparing data. So that part was, even though the most time consuming, is the part that I found the easiest. Um, after you prepare the data, then essentially you're doing your test, then you test the model. Well, how well is our model performing and what types of things can we tweak to improve it? And then once you think you have a good working prototype, um, deploy the model out. Um, and then you can use new data that comes in, um, to teach the model and make it better. Okay. Okay. So in this case, um, you're going to walk us through. Or you're going to walk us through each one of those, each one of those steps. And I'm particularly excited to get to number four, where um, where I can that that notion of testing and tweaking a data and how you, uh, a model and how you did that with your with your um, initial data set will be particularly interesting to, to me. But uh, where would you like to go next, Kevin, on on walking us through those those steps and giving us a practical view of how to accomplish this? Yeah, so I think we already talked um, a little bit about identifying a problem to solve, but I just wanted to touch one more time on it in that um, I actually think this is the most important and actually the hardest step. We have a lot of customers that come to us and say, hey, we want to utilize machine learning. And then my first Sounds question... Sounds sexy. Is, <laughs> yeah. Um, my first question to them is, okay, well, you know, what problem are you looking to solve or how are you looking to utilize it? Um, and usually, a lot of times they come back and they say, I don't know, but my boss is telling me, or I saw at a conference, we need to be using machine learning or we're falling behind. Um, and uh, I think every organization has problems that they can point this technology at, but you do really need to do some upfront work and think about what problem is a good fit for this technology before you go down the path of Um, some of these other steps, I think it's good to at least have a hypothesis on, hey, we think that 
um, this could be a good fit or a good problem to solve. Let's let's prove it out. Okay, so I'm going to throw a couple of different areas out at you, and you, off the top of your head, are going to tell me what would be good examples to throw this at. So, good luck with this one. How about if I were looking at, what if I were in an audit function and we're responsible for, from time to time, looking at uh, travel and entertainment expenses? How could this potentially apply? Uh, well, you could take the same um, the, the same fraud or suspicious transaction um, example where you could look at, um, you could use past data um, where you had known policy violations or known fraudulent activity in PCARD or TNE, and um, essentially feed that data in. So you label which transactions were against policy or fraudulent um, um, or okay, and then feed that into the model. And then essentially as new transactions come in, as people are spending money on new things, uh, the model would then be able to tell you, hey, this one looks like it's against policy, this one looks fraudulent, and this one looks okay, and then could help you prioritize which ones you look at. How about, um, this one might be a more tricky one, but now say I'm in uh, in uh, InfoSec or SecOps or something like that and wanted to go back and, uh, go back and look at, for example, um, uh, administrators accessing, logging in and accessing data uh, that that they may or may not, uh, maybe or maybe shouldn't have accessed. Yeah. So again, for if you're going to use, if you're going to want to predict some suspicious behavior, you'll need some labeled data. So you'll need some historical data that tells you when suspicious activity has happened. However, there are other types of machine learning that you could use that could just look at general behavior and identify, hey, these log transactions look out of the norm. But potentially, if I have had, for example, um, I'm con- concerned of um, we had some breach activity or some or some rogue employee activity, and I have, for example, say all of the uh, admin access logs to my Microsoft Azure infrastructure, um, perhaps another another case where I could um, where I could look at the profile of of uh, login activity that was that was erroneous and perhaps uh, uh, predict other items in the future that may where we may say, hey, this doesn't look right. Yeah, I think I think you could definitely do that. The one caveat there is you would need enough um, known suspicious activity. Um, to feed the model so that it could look for enough different scenarios. Excellent. Leads us into steps two through five. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, basically step step two, acquiring the necessary data. Uh, so this part was, I basically didn't have to do anything because the customer already had the data and served it on a silver platter to us. Um, I did ask them if they had um, some more data to help us improve it. Um, but they really wanted us to just start with what we had and prove it out and build a prototype. Um, but in the data acquisition process, the first thing you need is um, for this type of use case is lab- what we call labeled data. So the customer came to us with banking transactions, 100,000 of them across a number of different customer accounts. 
and they had labeled every transaction as being fraudulent or non-fraudulent. So now we have a data set where every, a training data set that where every record is labeled as fraudulent or not fraudulent. And then this is the data set that we use to train the model. Then when we predict fraud on new data, it essentially predicts which ones are fraud and not fraud, and even gives you a probability of how likely um, that is. And now labeled, the labeled part is important, but I imagine there's a little bit more to that, to it being good data. So for example, if the data I was provided was that only had one field in it called transaction number, and a second field that was the label of fraud or not fraud, I don't imagine that would have been very useful in the model. Yeah, that was another key learning is that you need enough related data to feed the model so that it can, because what it's going to do is it's going to look at a variety of different factors and probabilities, things that you just can't build into a rule-based data test um, and way too much for one person's brain to comprehend. It's going to look at all the different possible permutations and possibilities and find correlations within them. So in your example, like we're going to want like transaction date and time. We're going to want, um, you know, whether that transaction went to another account and what account it went to, was the transaction approved, um, so these are the type of data elements we had. And the more related data elements you have, the better. Um, and actually, when you uh, create your model, one of the outputs you get is it tells you how um, how good each field or that you fed the model um, was in helping predict the outcome. And so the more you can feed it, the better. And then it's easier to take away the fields that you don't need. Um, than it is to obviously get the fields that you do need if you don't even know they exist. I think that's part of the compelling part, right? If if I knew exactly what if I knew uh, exactly what fields I needed and what to ask of them, we could do just a rule based, a, a simple rule based analytic. The magic of this is being able to say we can look at a whole bunch of information about this particular transaction and not totally sure yet what I'm looking. Four, um, but the model helps me figure out what is correlated to this notion of a label equaling fraud. The label equaling fraudulent. Yeah, I think that's what's really cool is that the algorithm actually tells you which fields are most important, which ones aren't. Um, and so a lot of the process is just iterative. Is you're kind of tweaking the data set a little bit sending it in, seeing what the results are like, and then just trying to improve it, which we'll get into a little bit um, in the next step. And then just the last thing I wanted to touch on, which is really important, is having um, balanced data or balanced classes. So for instance, if we had 100,000 records from this banking customer, but only 100 were labeled fraud and 99,900 were labeled as not fraud, the algorithm is going to be really, really good at predicting not fraud, but not very good at predicting fraud because it only had 100 transactions that were labeled fraud. So this is called an imbalanced um, imbalanced class um, in data science terms and solves the wrong problem for us because we want to predict fraud. We don't want to predict not fraud. Right. 
Right. Um, so okay. really important to have balanced data set. It doesn't have to be perfect. Actually, the algorithms can account for that for you in some cases. In our case, we had, um, I think, seven or 8,000 that were labeled fraud. And that was enough. Um, that was enough to build a good model. Okay, excellent. And so I definitely want to come back to that. I think it's when we get to step four, um, because uh, so far I'm, I'm interested in, I, I definitely understand the notion of labeling the data, how it benefits from having more fields to look at in being able to do that. Um, but I'm still not, uh, I'm still confused on the terms of, of, you know, quote unquote, the algorithms or build the models. Uh, I still have no idea how to do that, but I think there's a step three that comes before that, before we get into that in step four. For sure. Um, so after you get all the data, and like I said before, this is where I spent most of the most of my time, but being a long time ACL analytics uh, user, um, and I used to do it as the primary function of my job as a consultant, uh, the data preparation step was actually the step um, that I felt most comfortable in and was the easiest for me, but it's definitely where I spent the most amount of my time. Um, and the biggest things for me were, you know, simple stuff like making sure the data is clean and when joins were missing, when I was doing joins and there were fields missing from other tables, um, just kind of going back to the customer and making sure that I was getting the data cleaned up. And then I think the most important part uh, when dealing with machine learning is um, what data scientists will call feature engineering. That sounds complicated. It sounds complicated, but it's really simple. And I'll, I'll give an example. So we had transaction date and time in our banking transactions, but that field was useless to actually predicting fraud. Um, so what I did is I took the transaction date and time and I took the date and I converted that to day of the week. So um, just using a computed field in ACL analytics to convert the date to Monday, Tuesday, et cetera. Um, and then I took the time and I converted that to um, business hours, um, evening and overnight. So basically I took 9 a.m. Uh, to 5 p.m. and converted all those times to business hours. I took 5 p.m. to, I think, midnight or something like that, converted that to evening, and took anything that was outside of those hours and converted it to overnight. So now I have a cate categorized field um, that I can feed the model that might be better than just um, the actual time. And it turned mm. out that downstream, the then when I ran this, it told me that overnight was actually a good predictor in predicting fraud. So we ended up keeping that in our uh, fields for, for predicting fraud. Um, and that's just one example, but essentially you want to go through your data, try to take fields like date and time, try to take other fields, turn them into category, category fields, um, or just massage the data a little bit um, and try to... Um, basically try to feed better data to to the algorithm. How do I have any idea whether I've done that well enough or not? That's a really good question. So um, what I did is I essentially, this is why I spent so much time on this step because it's iterative, right? So you transform the data in a bunch of ways, then you run the train commands, it outputs to you, tells you which fields and features were good predictors and which ones weren't. 
I would throw out all the ones that weren't good predictors, and then I would try again. Um, so for instance, the um, area actually that ended up being the most new for building this model um, was um, I did some behavior statistics for each account. And that sounds complicated, but all I did was I took a big shortcut and uh, all I did was run the summarize command in ACL analytics for each account, checked all the statistics boxes. So then I essentially got um, like, what's the mean transaction per day per for, for each account? What's um, how many transactions in the history has this account had with this other account that a transfer is happening with? Um, I kind of did all these just statistics um, for each account. And um, just using the summarize command and the statistics that come out of it. And um, essentially, those ended up being the best predictors in the end out of almost anything else that we did. Um, and essentially, all it did was profile the cut each account's behavior. And so then the algorithm was able to take that and say, hey, this transaction's kind of weird compared to a normal transaction. Uh, that's really interesting. So you were calling it preparing your data. I mean, a lot of times I, I associate the word preparing the data with more like cleaning, um, you know, standardizing phone numbers so they have the same parentheses and 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 dashes in it from for everything in the table kind of cleaning. But in that case, you're in some respects, I suppose also sounds complicated, but really you're enriching the data to some degree. But all the only way you're really enriching it is by saying, Hey, um, take all this information that's already there and add. And, and even though I'm no statistician, just run all the stats we have against those, um, against those field by account number add that to the data and now retrain the model because you mentioned the train command. We'll get back to that in just a second. But um, is, is that the right way to be thinking about it is, hey, uh, I can add some more mathematically interesting stuff by attaching a bunch of stats on key fields that I already have in my data. Yeah, I mean, I'm technically supposed to be a statistician, but I didn't even think about that at all. I just used the out-of-the-box stuff we already had. And it worked really well. And essentially, it came down to the fact where I was like, hey, how can we profile a customer's behavior? Each banking customer is going to have different types of transactions they do. Um, and essentially, all I did was summarize on a few different key fields, take all the out-of-the-box statistic fields you get from that. Min, max, count, average, sum, all those sorts of things. Yeah, the quartiles, the average, yeah. um, basically all of that stuff. And I just did a few different types of summarizes. Um, like I did summarize account by day so that I would get statistics on daily averages and stuff like that for each account. Mm -hmm. Then I summarized by account and then also the to from account. So the account that that account is interacting with. So to see what kind of statistics because likely I was thinking if someone's committing fraud and transferring from one account to another, they likely don't have a lot of previous interactions with that account, right? Right. Um, so these are the types of things I was thinking about. And then to be honest, I just kept kind of throwing things at the wall, running it through our train command, seeing which 
ones worked really well because the algorithm would just tell me I didn't have to really do anything. And then I would keep the ones that um, it told me worked really well. And I threw away the ones that didn't work that well. Okay. And so that part's interesting. Now, when you say the, 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 the train command, so perhaps unlike this notion of building a model in some statistical programming language, in, in the case of what you're talking about with, with ACL robotics, maybe describe, can you describe what the train command is and what it's, when, when you run it, what is it doing? Because you didn't program any models. All you did was say, run this command called train. That's true. It almost feels like I cheated, to be honest. And this is going to sound like a pitch for our products, but um, but I mean, I used ACL Robotics because that's the product I know really well, and it had the command I needed. Yeah. Um, but essentially, just like our summarize commands um, or any other command, we have a command called train. Um, essentially, what you do is when you run the train command, you have to tell it which of your fields has the labeled data that you later want to predict. So I told it we have the fraud, not fraud field that's already labeled. And then you tell it what other fields you want to feed into the magic algorithm um, to essentially build the model for you. And so I just fed it all those fields that I told you about, day of the week, time of day, all the statistics fields that I created from summarizing on the account number and a few other key fields um, and fed that all in. And essentially, um, then it runs, and I would let it run overnight because these algorithms need to run for a long time. And then I would come back the next day, and it would it essentially produces an, an output file that tells you um, how important each field that you fed it was um, in creating a model. And then it also creates a model file, um, and that model file... Um, is what you feed then uh, to predict on new transactions. I'm not sure if that made that made sense. I think broadly. So let me say this: um, the train command really isn't training a single model. If I understand correctly, the train command is running all of those things you told it, um, using all of those inputs that you told it. Um, seeing the outcome of the predicted field, fraud or not fraud, and it's actually using a whole bunch of different models that we've built into the product and seeing which one is the best fit one. Yeah, that's kind of the magic is that um, normally if you were using um, some other products like Python, um, you would have to kind of glue these algorithms together and know which one to pick. You'd also have to set a bunch of what data scientists called hyperparameters. Um, essentially, we take all of that out of your hands because we assume if you're a data scientist, you're going to use those tools. Um, we have an algorithm that actually analyzes your data and picks the best fit model for you, assigns um, all of those hyperparameters for you in the background based off of the data that you're feeding it. Um, so that's a lot of the runtime it needs in the beginning. And then based off of, and then it actually tells you what it picked so that if 
you really want to nerd out on that stuff, you know what it picked. Right. Uh, so I could, I could learn from that and become more of an expert on which model works well for what, but we've pre-chosen those based on these kinds of use cases on the assumption that, yeah, totally. If you reach data scientist status and you really want to tweak and dial in these models for very, very specific purposes, you probably ought to be moving out of ACL robotics and into R um, to, to do that or Python or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, yeah, we basically took the assumption that if you want to use machine learning and you're using ACL robotics for it, that you're probably not ready for that kind of advanced stuff. And I certainly am not ready for that kind of stuff. And so we take all of that stuff essentially out of your hands and it just does all that in the background for you does two outputs. It outputs a model that then you can use to predict new outcomes on. And it also outputs a file which tells you which of the fields that you gave it um, were good in in building the model and which ones uh, weren't. Very cool. So in the case of your, and is this step four, by the way, this, this, the running the train command and seeing all of this, or is this kind of the end of step three leading into step four? Essentially, I, actually, this is still kind of step three in data preparation, because I think part of data preparation is feeding your data preparation into our train command, mm-hmm. seeing what the output is, and then being like, oh, day of the week didn't really do that well. Maybe I should convert that to weekday or weekend. Maybe fraud happens more often on a weekend. And so it was a lot of trial and Very error, cool. to be honest. And I yeah. threw a lot of things at the wall. And I kept what sticked and I got rid of the things that didn't. But that's the magic exploratory and the, the, um, the statistical power of the models is helping you be more exploratory because you think, Hey, I think this may make a difference. And the computer tells you whether it does or doesn't. Exactly. And, um, definitely the time I put in, we got some really good results on the other side. So it was, um, definitely worthwhile. Okay, very cool. So just to, to round out on that, can you tell us what were some of the fields that, you mentioned a few already, but what were some of the fields that make the most, um, that were the most useful or the most tightly correlated with a, a, uh, a withdrawal or, or transfer transaction being fraudulent? Yeah, so interestingly enough, the only raw data fields from the original data that we got um, that were useful were transaction type. So transfers and um, withdrawals. So mm. that's pretty obvious, right? Yep. Um, and um, outside of that, um, basically all the other fields that were really useful were ones that I had to um, enrich or create on my own through computed fields. Um, and the behavior statistics were all at the top of the list. Um, so I did behavior statistics on, like I said, on daily transactions, but also monthly. Um, monthly, I was looking at the balance of the account and what the percent of the transaction was to the monthly balance. Mm-hmm. And then the other one I did was the interaction with the other account. Not every transaction, obviously, is interacting with another account, but that one was a really good predictor for when you were transferring to another account to predict whether it was fraudulent or not fraudulent. And then outside of that, um, some of the ones that were lower on the scale were um, I took the, I think I already said this, but maybe not. I took the approve, um, there was an approver ID field. Um 
And I converted that to was the transaction approved or not? Because only 20% of the transactions actually had to go through approval. Okay. Um, and that one ended up being a little lower on the list, but it was still useful. And then um, I actually did end up converting day of the week to weekday weekend. And then the overnight transactions ended up being a good predictor as well. Very cool. And so all these various iterations you did to to um, to 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 tweak and try different uh, add new or or convert new fields um, and try them against your model. Like, wh- what's the time investment here? Because now I feel like was this was this you know was this your full time job for a month? Was was tweaking these uh, was tweaking these different. Um, field inputs and then rerunning all the models or, or what was the commitment time commitment here? I spent a couple hours a day for about a week. Yeah. And okay. At the end I had a full um, robot built with all the ACL scripts and it was fully automated. So then at that point, um, if I wanted to make a change, I would essentially just go in and do a minor change to my script and rerun it. So yeah. then um, changes were pretty quick um, the longest, the thing that took the longest was rerunning to create a new model. Um, I would usually let run, and you, it's a parameter, so you can you can choose how long you want it to run for. Um, but I was letting it run overnight for twelve to fourteen hours usually, and then coming in the next day, looking at the results and tweaking. Okay, great. So th- actually, not that enormous an investment of time. So um, back on track now. You've now you've actually identified the fields, um, data's cleaned up, and you've generated the model file. And I believe now we're on to step four. Yeah, step four, um, not as time intensive, but super valuable. Is now you want to test your model. So I ran into the hurdle of okay, I want to test how good. I have all these fields that it told me are good predictors for predicting fraud. How do I actually test that the model can predict fraud without having new data to feed it? Because all I had was the data set that the customer gave me. And right. I didn't want to go back to them with a prototype that they then used on new transactions. It was predicting fraud and then those weren't actually fraud. Um, so actually, I'll, I'll give a call out to Ruben Rejon who's a product manager at Galvanize, who uh, helped me come up with this method. But essentially, I built in a random sample into my robot that would randomly sample 10% of the data and take it out from the train command so that I wouldn't train the model on that 10% of the data. And then I would remove the label of fraud, not fraud from that random sample. And then I would predict fraud on that 10% sample. And then because I knew which ones were fraud and not fraud from the original data set, then I could test how accurate my model was. And the cool thing about using, it was actually Ruben who came up with the random sample idea, was that I could run multiple tests over and over and over again with different random samples to make sure that I wasn't getting good results just because I picked a good random sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna re- I'm gonna rewind the clock on that one a little bit because that's a, I want to make sure that that uh, that, that was followed because that was really cool. If what I heard is right, so what you just described is step four is basically testing, um, validating that the model works as well as as what the training suggests it should. So um, what you did is you tested it 
uh, not once, not 10 times, but you could test it hundreds or thousands of times by saying out of these, out of these uh, 100,000 transactions, I want to train it with 90,000 of them and then predict for 10,000 of them and see if the prediction matches what we already know is the is the correct answer for those uh, for those now you did that over and over and over again by not taking that 10% once but by taking a 10% sample at random and automating it so you could have run this a thousand times and seen how accurate the outcome was a thousand times and taken an average of that yeah that's exactly correct and then we measured the outcome in a few different ways. The most basic way is you can see on mass how many did we get right and how many did we get wrong. But what I actually thought was more interesting because we actually don't care about um, we don't care as much about being right on non-fraudulent transactions. Um, what we care about is being right on fraudulent transactions. Um, mm-hmm. So data scientists use something they call a confusion matrix. Um, to analyze this, and that probably sounds confusing to people, but essentially all, all it does fancy is... fancy terms, my <laughs> God. Um, but essentially all it does is it breaks up that same, how many did we get right, how many did we get not right for each of my labels, so for fraud and not fraud. So for not fraud, how many did we get right, how many did we get wrong, and for fraud, how many did we get right, and how many did we get wrong, so that you can have a little bit more granular of a um, of a test, um, and be able to analyze a little bit better how well your your predictions are doing. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So that sounds cool. And if nothing else, at least you got to go tell your boss that you built a confusion matrix, which sounds really cool. Um, now, how accurate was how accurate did you you said you did this a couple of, a couple of hours a day for a few days? How accurate did your um how accurate did your model become uh yeah once we had uh once we had that really good data that we were feeding the model we were able to predict 95 percent success rate on basically or higher on all of our tests um some of them were even 99 percent. now i'll caveat that with a little bit of in data science world there's something called uh there's a problem where you can overfit a model Essentially, all that means is that you train it too well for very specific scenarios. So um, we need to now test it in the real world a little bit more because um, essentially the data that they fed us that was labeled, um, it had very specific types of fraud. So this model would be really good at predicting those specific types of fraud. But maybe if a new, if fraudster comes up with a new way that this model doesn't know about, um, it might not be very good at catching that. Um, that's just one thing we need to look out for in that when those new types of fraud prop up, we need to feed those in and build a new model and train it on them. So that's step five. Correct. Yeah, that's yes. a good segue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I, yeah, the point there being, the point there being, um, this only works if we don't overtrain the model, because if we overtrain the model, all we're doing is really is turning it into a rule-based analytic that is looking for a specific scenario um, at the end. So part of the way to not 
to, to make sure that you haven't over train the model is make sure that coming out of step four, it's good enough to where we're not changing, chasing a gazillion false positives, um, but not perfectly tuned to that scenario. And more importantly, now we continue to feed it new, um, new transactions and new data sets as they, as they come in. And as we, um, through other means, of course, may or may not label that data. And of course, from labeling the, um, the exceptions that we, the, the potential flags we generate from the new data. Yeah, that's exactly correct. So the last step is to basically deploy the model on um, feeding it new transactions that are coming in um, that the model has never uh, that the model has never seen before, labeling those and then investigating those, and then um, coming back with what the real results were, which ones were found to be fraud and which ones not fraud, and then we'll get a much better. Um, a much better measure for how well our model is doing. But then as well, we're getting new data to train and enhance the model over time. Yeah, really interesting. Okay, so I'm going to recharacterize your five steps, if you don't mind, because I think your label sucked. So here's my new, here's the new five steps, if I can, if I can summarize. Can um, number one was pretty good. So number one is define a, a, an appropriate problem for uh, for this type of uh, predicting, predicting a attribute about a, a a particular record of data, so identifying a good use case. Step two is acquiring the data. Um, step three really is not just preparing the data. Step three is really where all the time investment is. It is taking that data and enriching it in a way to where it might be, it could potentially be interesting. So um, saying, hey, yeah, my data is clean, but now instead of just having a count number as part of uh, as part of that data record, I now have a count number, transactions per month in this account, um, min-max value per account in, in that account, et cetera, et cetera, just to give it more uh, give more context and more information um, ab- uh, about the extended nature of that transaction, the account it belongs to, the account it's going to, those sorts of things. So enriching the data step step three and, um, and uh, testing it in the training. And then step four is deploying, no way. Step four is QA. Uh, running it against a running it against the subset um, and uh, doing it over and over and again to predict a subset of the data you already know to make sure that it's doing uh, effectively well then deploying into production with new data and and um, confirming the labels that come out in new scenarios so that it gets smarter and smarter over time I definitely like data enrichment better than data preparation so Okay, maybe that's the only actual job. improvement. I think that's I the only one you actually changed. Okay, well, uh, that's that, a good summary. That's a great. Uh, that's a great story. Um, any other uh, words of wisdom to to wrap up as everybody goes out to take on their first um, their first machine learning uh, prediction uh, scenarios as the one you described here today, and some of the other use cases. Hopefully, we've given you ideas on how to use it. 
Yeah, I think the one other thing we didn't touch on is you don't need to only predict um, like categorical data, like fraud, not fraud. You can also predict numerical data using regression, um, the regression uh, train command. Uh, so for instance, if you wanted to predict uh, housing cost based off of size, location, year built, upgrades, et cetera, um, or any other numerical value, maybe you want to predict revenue for the next quarter or something like that. Mm. Um, those that so you can also predict numerical values, not just categorical. And then the last the last thing I'll say is um, I would love to hear from our listeners on if they're experimenting with anything here, um, and would love to hear your stories as well. I would too. And just on that, the last point you left there, principally speaking, um, nothing really changes with predicting numerical data other than instead of saying in step four, category was right or wrong. It's more of in step four, how close did I get in that kind of QA step? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, great. Well, I would agree. I would love to hear how, um, how people make use of this and, um, we'll, we'd uh, love to share your story sometime here on office hours as well. That was an excellent, uh, walkthrough, Kevin. I am almost an, I am almost a complete moron and totally understood how to do this, at least in principle. So I will, uh, I'll go off and take my first steps as well. Excellent. Can't wait to see what you come up with. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kevin. Till next time, everybody. See you later. Thanks for joining us for this week's Office Hours. Make sure to visit wegalvanize.com for free resources to help you deliver better enterprise governance. See you next time.